Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode of the Book Riot Podcast is sponsored by Harry's. Do you have someone on your gift list that's impossible to shop for? Maybe a guy in your life is everything. Buying holiday gifts can be stressful, but I got an idea for here. Harry's is the best way to buy great quality razors that have a gift-like quality to them. So here's what the deal is. If you go to harrys.com and use offer code BOOKHOLIDAY, you get $5 off your first purchase. Now, there's a couple ways you could do this. There's a gift set. It's called the Winter Winston, and it's 30 bucks as a sleek chrome razor, three high-quality blades, and your choice of foaming gel or shave cream. It's already wrapped up. Shipping is free. A really nice gift. Harry sent me some of these. I've been using them, been waiting to be able to talk about them. Great quality blades that are about half as much as you'd play as you would pay for the, the you know the expensive stuff at the pharmacy. You know you know the blades I'm talking about. So go to Harry's.com, try book holiday, shave just as good, half as much, right to your door. Thanks so much to Harry's for sponsoring the Book Ride Podcast. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 84. We're recording on Thursday, December 11th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, who is back this week. And we're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's been a few weeks since we had a regular news show together. I know. We did our big extravaganza, bonanza, double episode holiday mm-hmm. recommendations. And then Amanda and I got to hang out yeah, last week. You got so to shoot been, some yeah, diversity fireballs last week. And uh, we're back. It was a good we show. Are. It was a good show last week. I Thank enjoyed you. It. It was, it's fun. It's always fun having Amanda on. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. Well, we got follow-up from, I guess, way back in the day then. are these? Are they, yeah, whole, we, we talked about these before. These weren't just from last week, right? These follow-up things. Uh, right, no, these are like follow-up no. from like new editions of stories that we talked about over the last couple of months. Um, the first one is that we have more information now about the New York City uh, Library's plan to let patrons check out portable Wi-Fi hotspots. Yes. Um, pretty cool. So you get um, – they're expanding the program where you can – with if you have a library card, you can take home broadband hotspots for up to a year – and these hotspots allow users to connect like 10 mobile devices on 4G LTE mm-hmm. broadband, which is fast. That's fast. Powered yeah, by fast. Sprint, um, hundreds of them. And yeah, 10,000. So, oh, 10,000? Is that what it is now? Yeah, this, That's the expansion. Th- yeah, the Washington Holy Post Moses. says uh, the program includes 10,000 devices. Um, the program is a $2.5 million wow. endeavor. And it's being helped by a $1 million grant from Google and half a million dollars from the Night News Challenge. Hmm. Pretty and cool. so you get oh, it for and Google's a, also it's free. Oh, sorry. I mean for a, for a year, yeah. up to two years yeah. if you have a library card. That is crazy. Google's also donating 500 Wi-Fi enabled Chromebook laptops for teens and children in library after school programs. Hmm. Also, um, new Mayor De Blasio. Uh, this is related but not part of the same program. Is going to turn a bunch of those old city payphone kiosks that litter the city into Wi-Fi hotspots. Um, which is pretty that. interesting as well. So instead of super, turning Clark Kent turning into a Superman um, outfit, there he can go uh, check check Facebook. Um, I'm so excited just thinking about like what's going to get made on the internet that wouldn't have been made otherwise because somebody well. gets internet for a year or two years from the library. I would like to like, awesome. hear stories of people who are going to go get this, um, like. What are the, what's their situation? Is it they can't afford it, or they have no service, or they're, you know, um, living in a shelter? Because they're portable, right? These you don't have to. Like, right. You could take yeah, them. Yeah, it says around. they're the size of like a mass market paperback. Yeah, I, I kind of want one just myself, but I feel like uh, <laughs> that's that's. I feel like I don't know. I, do I? I mean, I'm Maybe. a library patron, I, I, but mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? I mean, I should feel yeah, weird about you, that, right? I. I think so. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe check one out class. for a week just to, like, do research. Or if there's a bunch of them just sitting around. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, if after a few months, they're like, yeah, we got a few extras. I can go down there and pick mm-hmm. one up. 
Yeah, but I mean, but you, but I mean, I use the library to check out books without feeling like a schmuck. And you pay taxes to support the library. I can't tell if I'm trying to talk myself in or out of wanting one of these. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. don't know. I I don't know. Like it's not either. called the library hotspot checkout program for poor people, right? I mean, it's not <laughs> called that. No, I'm serious. It's not. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, I think libraries typically don't make declarations about which patrons their services are for or who's allowed to take advantage of it. Like, you know, you can afford internet. Very much so. Yes, of course. But you can also afford to buy books and you use your library anyway. And because the library exists as a community service and you're, Mm -hmm. you might be choosing to spend money somewhere else. Um, I don't know. I, I would feel weird. Like, I think because this is, uh, I mean, 10,000 is a lot, but it's also not that many compared no, to the population it's a drop in the, New York the City. Tsunami of New York. So right? I would not love it if I, if <laughs> stories that came out were like that a bunch of people who could have afforded internet went and got internet for free yeah, from the library. Like, I don't, that's, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the story that I want to hear about this. And I'm sure it's not the story that the library wants I, to tell. This like, is a, one you know, I would like It's intended reader... to provide. Access for I would like reader opinion about this. It. Shoot us an email, see what you think. So I'm, you know, comfortably middle class. I've got internet at home. It, what should I feel crappy if I wanted to go tr- check one of these out and try it? Um, I wish we had a live poll. Yeah, I know. Option. Someday we're gonna have a live <laughs> chat room. Someday in the future, and this we can use some <laughs> feedback. But I'm, my gut says, let it lie. But my head sort of says, well, it's you know, I use the subway and I use, I check out books from the library. I don't know. If there are a bunch left over after a couple of months, then like, there's plenty available. I'll go. Ch- I actually kind of would just try it as well, like just mm-hmm. to see how everything well, and, goes. You know, we know some people at the New York Public Library, so we could also find out how this yes, is working. That's perhaps. true. We'll get we'll get uh, we'll uh, listen to the grapevine and tell us what's going on. Um, all right. Another good one is this. We talked about this story a lot. It feels like 10,000 years ago, but it's probably yeah, like July. Several months ago. Um there was a ban over in uh, jolly old uh, England on sending books to prisons and the high court, which I guess that's like their Supreme Court. I never know um, their their judicial system. I should be wearing mm-hmm. a wig right now even to talk about this. Um, says that, that that's bogus. You can't do that. <laughs> you can see um, Mr. Justice Collins declared that he could see no good reason for the rule in light of the importance of books for prisoners. So uh, it seems that reasonableness has prevailed and that um, that particularly nasty little ban on books is going away. Good news. That's a good job. Yeah, it's a good job. You know, is that a good job? That's just a, you did your job. That's not a good job. No cookies for you. We're also not going to take any cookies away. You did the right thing. Right. If there are cookies already, you can continue to have them. Yes. British High Court. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no extra cookies. <laughs> Ideally, um, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Like, right. can we just not try to ban who we can send books to? It's books, people. I feel like I don't we want sort that conversation like, anymore. Like a website. That's one of those websites that's just is a URL that just takes you to no, we shouldn't. And anytime <laughs> if someone comes up with a should we ban sending books to X group, we should just send them that URL. Just <laughs> yeah, says no, nope, we shouldn't. Nope, nope, nope. Or just that nope to puss gif. <laughs> I'm not sure this is a <laughs> nope. I think nope. this might be a cookie situation. This next follow up is that the donations to the Ferguson, Missouri Library have topped as of yesterday. So this number keeps growing mm-hmm. $350,000. It's amazing. Amazing. It's really that amazing. That sum is 85% of the library's annual budget. Yeah. It's uh, which last go ahead. No, I um the the library manager over there, um let's see if like, his name is Scott here. Bonner. Yeah. I was talking about how it's great. It's also a bit I mean, they definitely take it, but it's 85% of your budget. You got to really think about what you're going to do. Are you going to try to fund ongoing programs or do some one-off things like um it's a nice problem to have, but I'll be interested to see that's how such a windfall is managed because they're just not used to getting that much money all at once. I, I'm not sure um, how they're going to manage it. Yeah, I bet they have a long list of potential yeah. things that they can do there. Last week when we were talking about, I think the donations were at 300000 last week, and I was wondering about what the annual budget was, and I mm-hmm. told Amanda that I would be surprised if the annual budget was even 300000 So I was wrong there. It's more than that, but this three hundred and fifty is about 85%. So this is basically like a library getting a year for free. Yeah. Getting yeah, a year of its so existence. I, I think mean, yeah. 
it's going to be, it will be really interesting to watch. I think I would take it and like divvy that, divvy it out over several years, like add this thing this year and add this other thing this other year. So you don't just have one big year of awesome stuff, but some ongoing. Yeah. Cause I mean, 350 is a lot, but it's not to, it's not enough to endow say another full-time librarian forever. I mean, they make, yeah, I mean, even forever. if they make $40,000 a year, which is, right. you know, that's not an awesome salary, that's but what, it's, yeah, you'd get what, nine you, years. Yeah. If you get it all. And I guess if you make some interest, you can stretch it out to 10 or yeah. 12, but, um, maybe some capital improvements, um, collection, curation and development, mm-hmm. um, and whatever else they see fit over there. Uh, not that they can do anything wrong with it, in my opinion. Um, all, all right, right. We got to go to our, we got to go first sponsor, Harry's. I'm so glad to finally be able to talk about Harry's. They booked this a million years ago, and they sent me some free stuff, which I've been just I've just had had to internalize all of my effusion um, about Harry's. So Harry's is the, here. There are many things that are just too expensive. They're just unreasonably expensive. I'm putting mattresses up there. Mattresses are too much oh. money, right? Mm-hmm. Deodorant. Yes. It's insane. I can buy here deodorant. I can buy. $10 will get me like an oil drum of laundry detergent, right? But for three bucks, I get an ounce of basically like paste and detergent and, and deodorant. And the third thing that forever has vexed me, and this is what Harry's going to take care of, is razor blades. Yep. If you ever get the, the Gillette Mach 19 or whatever you're up to now, you go in and you want to buy five new ones and it's $500 for five new blades. That's what it is. That's how much. Well, that's not how much it actually is, but that's how. That's what it feels like. And I, I had go, recent sticker shock about lady razor blades. Also, it's it's crazy. And you got and you got to buy. You know, you've got to buy that handle that looks like it's Optimus Prime's finger. You know that thing I'm talking about. That that blade that had. You know, it looks like it, it fell off a transformer during a battle, and the blades are like a million dollars a piece. And in my pharmacy, you got to go get someone to get the key to get them out from behind the thing because they're so expensive. People steal them because they're too much money. Anyway, Harry's is a whole new kind of company. If you've ever considered doing a subscription service of any kind, this is the one I would recommend because you get high quality. These are I've used them myself for about a month now, and they're just as good and if not better than the high end Schick Gillette whatever that has the bad batteries and the whole thing. It's unbelievably inexpensive. Um, you get no annoying plexiglass case that you have to rip open. It comes right to your door. Um, you get the same quality, if not better. It's a better looking product. Like the packaging is so great. Like I wanted to save it like a hoarder somehow and like use something else for it. Um, you can do a monthly shave plan. So you never forget, like you're trying to, you know, shave and you've got like that one rusty blade. And like, I guess I'm going to use this one more time because I don't have any other blades. They always come, you know, on the schedule you want, and it's a legitimately low price for really good razor blades. So here's what you can do: um, you get a winter Winston set. So for thirty bucks, it gets you a new razor blade, three high quality blades, and foam shave gel or shaving cream, and it's all wrapped up and ready to go. So it's like a starter kit. So if you're someone in your life you want to get for, it's a really good. You know, I, I think. It'd be a great dad, sort of uncle, husband, it's situation, anyone that needs to use shaving on a regular basis. Um, you, you need to know that it, it comes and it looks great. I have to say, if I got this as a gift, I would be thrilled. 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 I think also they market, this is marketed to male customers because dudes shaving faces yes. every day. Right. But this is a relevant service for women also because the razor blades cost a million dollars. Yes, yes, yes. And the yes. women's razor blades, I believe, are more are even more expensive than men's because you don't just have the Optimus Prime handle. You have the Optimus Prime handle with, like, blue plastic cushioning and made mm-hmm. of unicorn skin or something because that's what ladies need. And then the blades have, like, moisturizing strips and 17 blades and all this stuff that is not necessary, but, like, I almost picked up my typical razor blades the other day and was looking at the price and in, in, in the grocery store and I was like, oh my God, I've been paying $25 for sets of four blades. Like, mm-hmm. how long have I been doing this and not noticing? It's absurd. It is absurd. It's it's so great. And so the like the little their little gift box that comes with gel and the a, a razor and some blades and you know, a nice wrapped gift, that's thirty bucks. Their their sort of starter kit comes with um, a handle. 
and three quality bl- blades in a three in a tube of their own shave gel or shave cream, your choice. That's fifteen bucks. That's those are sort of the starter set. So if you're going to give a gift, you know, I'd suggest going to thirty one. You want to try it for yourself. Go with the starter kit. That's fifteen bucks. But we got a code for you. So if you go to Harry's.com, that's H A R R Y S dot com, and you enter the code Book Holiday, that lets them know you come from us. But you also get five bucks off. So your starter kit could be ten bucks, which seriously you should try. Just do that, um, or that gets the thirty price, thirty dollar price down to twenty five bucks for you. Um, so that's Harry's.com. Enter coupon code Book Holiday. And uh, get started shaving better today. I'm thrilled. I, I didn't talk about the shave cream, which I like. Because, you know, that whatever that you get at, at Target, they come in those, like, future, like, uh, ammunition shell canisters. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and they've got, they've got like, um, they've got names like Power Face Extreme or whatever. And, and they, they smell like some sort of industrialized version of masculinity. I don't even know what that smell that they're trying to That's go for That's the Axe is. body spray effect you're having yeah, there. Yeah, it's like Everything not quite Axe, like but it's like, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a poor man's version of Axe body spray smell. This is nice. It, it, it's, it smells good, and it smells kind of masculine. I'd say I'm not, a, you know, olfactory uh, nomenclature is not my strong suit. But, it, you know, it smells like a men's sort of um, product. But it's very light on the smell. It's very comfortable and clean. Um, it is, it's not this otherworldly green or blue, you know, sort of unnatural color. Like it looks like something that, you know, one might reasonably put on their body and not, um, mutate from. So go to harrys.com and check it out. I'm so glad to be able to gush about them, uh, for a few minutes. All right. Speaking of selling things directly. Oh, look at you. Oh, I like how you did that. I'm not, you know, I'm not even back a week and I'm just on my games. like, so on point. Um, I'm really something. Uh, Hachette. <laughs> Hachette. You feel the humility in the air? It's Christmas time. Um, I just marvel at your humility I, constantly, I, Jeff. I, it's, it's a standing appointment on my calendar. Take, yeah, five, take minutes. five minutes. Think about Jeff's bask humility. Bask in the glow of my humility. <laughs> um, Selling things directly. Hachette is getting on the Let's Do Stuff bandwagon. Maybe seeing Harper Collins. You know, we, we haven't heard too much from Hachette in terms of trying new things online. Have we? Maybe I'm, I might be misremembering that. I don't think we have. Yeah. If, if anyone remembers something, shoot us an email. I'd like, to, I'd like to know if there were other things. Maybe they've just been in a pitched battle with the, the Green River for so long that um, they haven't had the, the, the mind share to do it. But they're teaming up with um, this tech company, Gumroad, which what they Gumroad does is they help companies sell stuff online directly. Like making it really easy without having to go through like a huge checkout process or something like else like that. And Gumroad is especially proficient in selling things through social media. And so what mm-hmm. Hachette is going to do is they're going to try selling books online directly through Twitter. Um, Twitter is yes. building a whole new suite of tools for people basically to sell things. We've messed around this a little bit with uh, signups to our newsletter where you don't have to leave Twitter. You just press a button. And since your email is already in Twitter – you're already signed up for our newsletter. Um, this, I, there must be some other th- step in the process where their, your credit card mm-hmm. or payment information gets uh, applied. But they're going to try it out with selling print books by Amanda Palmer, Chris Hadfield. And that's the the astronaut's guide to life on Earth guy, right? Is that Chris Hadfield? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and, the and the onion book of his. Yeah, and the book of his that they're selling is called "You Are Here," and it's photographs that he took from the International Space Station. It's a photography, like, coffee table book. It's so cool. Talk about also a great thing for a gift. Yes. Well, and the other thing that makes this a great gift is they're available for a limited time, and they come with a bonus item, right? So it's the book Mm -hmm. and a little something extra. Um, So you've got, you know, I I, I think they've got this right, at least as a trial, is you're engaging probably those authors and people who follow bookish people's fans directly. I don't know if Amanda Palmer and Chris Hadfield and The Onion will be tweeting links directly or just be from Hachette's accounts or imprints or what. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch that. I know that um, Gumroad, the tech company that runs this service for selling stuff through Twitter, has a thing set up like a business that's got multiple clients can give those clients access to using the Gumroad thing. Mm. Um, so it's totally possible that Hachette has it set up where Amanda Palmer can connect her Twitter account and Chris Hadfield could connect his and The Onion could connect theirs. I don't know if they will, but I do know that's doable. Yeah, um, It launches today. Is, uh, 
Palmer's promotion mm-hmm. starts today, so I'm going to look for that. Because, like, if can I send the link out on Twitter and retweet it in the same mechanism? I would imagine it would have to work that way, but I don't know. I'm yeah, I bet if it's out. embedded in one of their tweets and you retweet it, then yeah. that um, would still work. Um, and these, this is a smart way to start. Amanda Palmer has a huge following on Twitter. Chris Hadfield also has sizable following because um, when he was in space, he was like making music videos and doing cool stuff. And his kid was back on Earth, running, like helping run his internet presence. Mm. Um, so he's he's got an established following, and of course, The Onion has an established following. Those are three good places to start testing it. And Hachette has a ton of big authors, of course. I hope that this works. Like I know people have mixed feelings about seeing commercial stuff mixed into social media, and, and I have that Well, I got as news well. for you, people. <laughs> it's coming. I mean, <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, like, I would so much rather see this option appear for me from authors and publishers that I've chosen to follow on Twitter. So I'm already interested in their products or their books or whatever. For some reason, like I would much, much rather have the choice to just buy their stuff right there on Twitter than Mm. be served, you know, sponsored tweets and stuff in my stream from people that I don't follow, but that Twitter wants to sell me. Like this is, if, if if we have to decide how Twitter's going to make money, I would go this way. Um, yeah. I don't think it'll stop them from doing promoted tweets. Well, does tweets, Twitter make money off this? Does Twitter, I mean, this is Gumroad and Hachette. Like, where does Twitter get a slice? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, and the bonus items, was, they're not just like a thank you note card. Like, Palmer's book comes with an original manuscript page. And uh, Hadfield's comes, the books mm-hmm. are signed with a signed photo. And The Onion, there's like a set of note cards, like, I don't know. Those are that's interesting. I'll be curious about pricing. Is it full yeah, like hardcover price plus the stuff, or will be a premium price on top of it? I, I don't yeah, know I guess I don't that. love that because that's a confounding factor. Like, are people buying the thing then from the Gumroad link on Twitter because it's the book plus something extra? Mm-hmm. Like, is it the something extra that makes it worth it to make this purchase, or will people be buying it because? They're just interested in Amanda Palmer or Chris Hadfield, and the button appears on Twitter. Like it seems to me that adding that extra uh, layer, yeah, I like I get why think, they did it. Of like, right. let's make this extra juicy. But I, I think the results will be well. It can't, potentially it can't scale to the full catalog, right? There's just not enough right. tweet energy. So if you're going to do it, I say charge a premium price and convert mm-hmm. the biggest fans for the biggest premium. That's what I would think would make the most sense. Like, yeah, charge um, a premium, and the people who really want it will get the limited edition, and you make the most money off of it. Um, or do something where you like your authors who are interested in doing this and who want to try it and are active on social media, like give them access to do their own promoting somehow. Because you're right, like the Hachette stream on Twitter could not support promoting all of the books from all of their authors. But if you're a mid-list author on Hachette and you have a respectable following on Twitter and, you know, rather than tweeting your Amazon link once a week, you want to do this um, and have people be able to purchase directly. It would be cool to be able to see authors take that initiative and Hachette could follow. Um, it, oh, it was HarperCollins that was incentivizing authors to tweet links to the HarperCollins right. retail page instead of any other retail page. And they got what, 10% extra royalty mm-hmm. for those purchases. Like that would be cool for Hachette to do that here. Hey, if you sign up for the Hachette Gumroad yes. Twitter initiative, we'll give you 10% extra royalty on all the books that you sell directly through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I think some ver now if it, I'm an individual author and I want to sell my books through Twitter and Gumroad, um, you know, that's one thing, but for Hachette to have its fingers in all the pies and trying to create custom stuff for every book, it just doesn't seem possible. Oh, so, yeah, 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 you can't do that. Anyway, so uh, I, that's an interesting um, it's an interesting way of doing it. So they can sell to, mm-hmm. they can sell directly without having to have their own storefront and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I assume they'll it, be doing their own fulfillment cool and things like that. I'm, this is going to work on me. Like the yeah. day that an author that I follow announces they have a new book available and there's a button right on Twitter that I can order it mm-hmm. from Twitter without going anywhere, mm-hmm. I'm doing it. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, Especially that, if it's it's going to work on me. If you get a little juice, you get a little something extra on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know whose fans this would work on. Yeah, there you see. Hey there, you like that? Uh, nice work, Padawan. Um Rainbow I, I say that only in jest. Uh, she's got she's got a new. <laughs> Don't send angry. Emails I know. I know. To Jesus. Okay. We like each other. All right. 
Uh, anyway, so <laughs> let me talk about Rainbow. You've Rock. read Eleanor and Park, right? I haven't. I've read Eleanor and Park, and I've read Landline. So I maybe you can explain. Maybe you can explain the set- setup of this new book better than I can, because okay. if you read Eleanor so, Park, apparently it relates to that and gets people very excited. Yeah, this actually relates to Fangirl, um, which oh. I haven't read, but I I'm know. Sorry. Okay, I yes. know it enough about. Uh, I'll just call you Padawan now, and it'll nah, be it'll even back. out or something. Yeah, okay. Um, you have the okay, conch so shell. Fan- the main character of Fangirl, uh, which came out a few years last year or the year before, um, her name is Kath, and she's a college student who writes fan fiction about a Harry Potter style series. And mm. the main character of that series is Simon Snow. So Simon Snow is the Harry Potter of Rainbow Rowell's fangirl world. Um, he's a character in the Harry Potter story. Mm. The new book is called, uh, this new book is coming out next year. It was just announced yesterday or this morning. What date is this? It was just announced yesterday. Uh, It's called Carry On, and it's a novel about Simon Snow. So it takes place in Simon Snow's world, which is a Harry Potter-like world. Um, So this is meta. Like Mm -hmm. It takes place in the world of, in the fantasy world of the stories that the girl in fangirl writes fan fiction about in real life. Hmm. Stacks on stacks, layers on layers. Hmm. Uh, but Raul tweeted that it's a, it's a Simon Snow story. It's a love story and it is her first fantasy story. Hmm. Um, so it'll, it's a, an expression of, you know, uh, sort of she and there's like so kath writes fan fiction so in fangirl kath is writing fan fiction which so which means rowell has written <laughs> fan fiction about a thing that doesn't exist right. this simon snow series and now she's going to actually write some of simon snow's actual story from his perspective this is like if um mm-hmm. <sighs> this is like if a uh, someone who's not jk Rolling started writing. It's not even that. No, I have no it's good like analogy. If Wes Anderson it's, wrote a novel of one of the books that appear in like Royal Tenenbaums that are fake, or yes. something like that. Yeah, it's so meta and multi-layered and internet-y and like this just is uh, seems like the perfect move for Rainbow Rowell. So here's the um, the blurb: is Simon Snow just wants to relax and savor his last year at the Watford School of Magics, M A G I C K S. Obviously, uh, but no one will let him. His girlfriend broke up with him. His best friend is a pest, and his mentor keeps trying to hide him away in the mountains, where maybe he'll be safe. Mm. Simon can't even enjoy the fact that his roommate and longtime nemesis is missing because he can't stop worrying about the evil git. Plus, there are ghosts and vampires and actual evil things trying to shut Simon down. When you're the most powerful magician the world has ever known, you never get to relax and savor anything. Mm. So we get to read that story, and then we'll know that in a different part of Raoul's universe, Kath is writing fan fiction about it. I think this can be a big book. Like, she's got a lot of fans, she's a great writer, and this is like a delve into, like, YA fantasy sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Like, and it, she's it could be a, really a big deal. I think it is going to be yeah. a big deal. And I love that she's just unapologetically into things that are of the moment and that are new and that are pop culture and that those things Mm -hmm. can be smart and interesting and funny that there's nothing wrong or embarrassing about being into pop culture or being a fan. Um, The internet has gotten better, I think, at how we understand like the culture of fan fiction and fandoms in general. But there's a lot of, you know, misunderstanding and a lot of, I think, misconceptions about that as well. And Raul is just sort of rolling right over Mm -hmm. all of that and and demonstrating how cool and exciting it can be. She also is working on a graphic novel that I think is coming out next year. She's writing the script and she's working with an artist. I remember hearing about that. Um, that should be yeah, I, she the movie about of Eleanor Park is in the works too, if I remember it. Mm-hmm. Everything's coming up, uh, Raoul. Uh, it seems to me. I feel like recently. she's just getting started too. Yeah. Like, and she th- seems to write pretty such, fast. Yeah, she's going to have such an interesting career. Yeah, very interesting to see. Um, all right, so let's do another sponsor before we. Get Our next to, sponsor into, uh, this much. week is uh, this is Word and Film, a uh, new sponsor for us. Word and Film is a website that's dedicated to keeping a literary eye on what's entertaining the world on screens, both big and small. Uh, so they write about 
TV and movies from a literary perspective. Sometimes that's adaptations of stuff. Sometimes it's just uh, a movie that has a heavy literary theme to it. Um, at wordandfilm.com, you can check out reviews, breaking news, exclusive interviews, because uh, Word and Film is powered by Random House. And so they have access to, you know, big, important authors whose books become movies, that kind of thing. Um, and they can also get interviews with people who write screenplays and actors. They do roundups, listicles, recommendations, author essays, contests, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and right now at Word and Film, they're giving away five movie adaptation prize packages that include a $360 movie gift card for the theater of your choice and 12 books that are coming to the big screen in 2015, including Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, but also All the Bright Places, Fallen, Frankenstein, in the Heart of the Sea, The Jungle Book, The Martian, which we mm -hmm. love, Maze Runner, Paper Towns by John Green, Peter Pan, Star Wars, A New Dawn, and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So you can win 12 books and then $360 to go see movies. Nice. Any movies you want at the theater of your choice. But you're listening to a book show, so you're probably going to go see some adaptations. <laughs> So you can head to wordandfilm.com to enter their giveaway and also just to check it out. I think they have great stuff. We've been we've both read Word and Film for yes. a while and they've done some they have done some other sponsorships of the site in various ways, but I'm usually pretty impressed with the content yes. there and with that like we were talking about with Rao, that embracing of of pop culture. Um we might sometimes think that the book is better or maybe we always think that the book is better, but these adaptations are always fun and interesting to talk about. Very much so. So thanks to Word and Film for sponsoring the site. You can go yeah. check them out. Speaking of adaptations, oh, we're on a roll. Man, just call us butter because we're on a roll. Um, speaking of adaptations, adaptation news, I think the biggest one this week was that um, The Cuckoo's Calling is going to be uh, a BBC One TV series. Mm -hmm. The BBC One is what the English has as, as an excuse for television networks, as far as I understand. Um, and uh, it looks like... I don't. I don't. I know nothing about how these things work. It doesn't sound like it's going to be an ongoing series. It's going to be sort of a a mini series, I guess is the the phrase we would use now. Which the British are much better than us at producing. They'll do a you know a seven part. They really, really Tinker are. Taylor Soldier Spy, and that's it. They don't have to worry about turning it into like nine seasons or whatever. Um, I can't even remember the last American mini series I was at all interested in. Can you think of one? That I was interested in, or that you were interested in. Oh, that you were interested in? No, either way, about, either one um, that you were interested in. I have the pile of Olive Kitteridge in my DVR oh, right now from that's HBO. A good example. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm interested. Right. The the premium um, networks, Empire Falls was what, a three-parter yeah. way back in the day? Um, oh, that was so long ago. But anyway, so they, they, but this is something they're good at. Um, so I, I think that'll be interesting. I don't know what else I to say. I think it will too. I mean, it's... Detective E. Uh, when, uh, Amanda, when Amanda shared the link this morning on our Book Riot Back channel, she was like, well, we knew this day was coming. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the only surprising thing is that it didn't happen sooner, mm -hmm. maybe. Like, J.K. Rowling's new books should just come with TV and movie deals attached to them. Right. Uh, but it, it says in this piece from uh, The Hollywood Reporter that she's going to be collaborating on it, and the number and the length of the episodes are still to be uh, determined. Okay. No wonder I Once the process... It has begun. Uh, but she had previously done a three-hour miniseries adaptation of The Casual Vacancy. That's already in the can, and that's coming out on BBC ah, One in February. Okay, cool. So maybe they're also going to keep an eye on that and see how it does yeah. to determine the popularity of this. But the Cormoran Strike ones are basically like what mystery detective stories. Well, right? if this one does well, yeah, that's right. And there could be a series of series, because she said she's going to keep writing these Galbraith Cormoran mm -hmm. Strike novels. So if they've got a on their, they've got a hot little hit on their hands. Um, that's something they could kind of um, keep keep going and not have to you reinvent know, the wheel every time. This is a side question. Yeah. But how long do you think they're going to persist in putting Robert Galbraith know, on the cover of these just, books? Can we sign like a change.org <laughs> position or something? Can we get into some like, shallow clicktivism here? Like change Nora this? Roberts writes under the name J.D. Robb for her edgier fiction like she writes as nora roberts when she writes romance yeah. and then she writes like thrillers as jd robb but the covers say like nora roberts as in tiny letters and then jd robb in in big font and i would like to see at least that like the jig is up and now we all know that jk rowling <laughs> well, is robert Galbraith. and so what story, is even the point <laughs> a picture on the story is jk holding up the book 
that says by mm-hmm. Robert Galbraith. It's just so farcical. It's just, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt anything, I don't think. It's just sort of like, annoying. It's like but, if I wore a monocle, like, it does not hurt anybody, but what are you doing? <laughs> what is the like, point? Like, what's even the point? Remember when, um, Man, I am dating myself and other things with this reference. Mm-hmm. But when Garth Brooks had yes. that Chris Gaines moment, yeah, <laughs> like and he dressed he wore differently, weird... like wore a, he like had frosted tips and a baseball cap, <laughs> right? He wore like a weird wig. And he yes, did an album of kind of rock music, but he's Garth Brooks and he has that country voice, and everyone knows it's Garth Brooks from the get go. Like it's kind of the literary version of putting on. The weird glasses with the funny mustache attached. Yeah. <laughs> like, we all know who's under there. <laughs> right, right. And, like, that fool's, like, my, my two-year-old, like, like the Groucho Mars match for, like, his second. And they're like, Dad, what are right. you doing? I mean, right, like, she did want to keep been... it secret. Like, I, I mean, at least with the Gaines thing, I think, like, it, was, it wasn't even a secret. He's like, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to wake know, up as Chris it... Gaines or something <laughs> like that. It was like it. a weird. It was just a weird stunt. Yeah, yeah. Weird there, there stunt. is a difference. It's not a perfect analogy. And, no, but I see what you're saying. For, like, yeah, for all we know of of the Rolling story, she didn't intend it as a stunt. Right. She did intend to be anonymous as Robert Galbraith, and then she was outed, and she sued the person who outed her, and we talked about all of that a while about a while back. But like now that she has been, and now that the jig is up, like yeah. we, and that we know that it's her behind Robert Galbraith, I do not understand the point in like in continuing to talk about these as the Robert Galbraith novels. And and even also just because it allows for that percentage of people who somehow don't know that it's J.K. Rowling to continue writing about them as if they're books by a man, which we've yeah. also seen happen. Oh, yeah, you see on Goodreads and stuff like that. I, <laughs> I don't – again, it's not a huge deal. I mean, she can do whatever she wants. Like, we're not we're not uh, getting – but it's just kind of it's weird. Just weird. It's just weird. Like, I just don't understand. The – the the only the only thing I can see that makes sense to me is that she kind of wants to differentiate between like her casual vacancy stuff and then the crime stuff so that I don't I can't even get there I tried I have to give that up I have to anyway uh, let's move on this story I'm Let super interested uh, no come on I get that enough uh, sorry I'm sorry that just I don't even know where that came from yeah I know where it came from um, so book culture which is a new bookstore that's opening on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, it's a branch of a bookstore that's farther up in Morningside Heights next to Columbia, <laughs> where I went to school. It used to be called Labyrinth Books. Um, no one cares about that. Just I said that. That sounds because, very appealing, though. Yeah. Like, you, mm, is David Bowie standing in the middle wearing no. tight oh, purple Labyrinth. pants? Labyrinth. Uh, I don't want to get off on a, um, an uh, 80s puppet movie uh, tangent. Um, I'm just trying to earn some of my points back after my Chris Gaines no, that's all right. Yeah, because you, you know what what makes you feel more modern is a David Bowie and <laughs> Labyrinth reference. You're, you're up to speed now. Um, go back to book culture, so Jeff. Here we let's go. do this. Right, we're, let's do this. Uh, they're opening a new location, and it's kind of a big deal because I think it's one of the first new bookstores to open in Manhattan in several years because um, been bookstores have been getting murdered. I don't actually think by larger sort of publishing industry forces, just that New York is a, a stupid – insane rent spike going on and real estate spike mm-hmm. and it's just very difficult to keep up. Um, but one thing that's happening is they were looking for, they've done sort of all sorts of interesting partnerships. You can do have like, like multi-thousand dollar memberships for individual patrons. Um, you know, you can rent out the space and a whole bunch of things like that. But this one is Harper's Magazine is making an investment directly in the bookstore, like a cash infusion. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be a minority partner uh, but it's also going to be a partnership that that overflows into some content and doing some Harper's events there and a whole bunch of different other kinds of things. And I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, something like this before where a, 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 a publication, a news or media outlet has a fiduciary – no, that's the wrong word – financial investment in a actual bookstore, which I think is really smart myself. What do you think yeah. about this? I think it's really interesting. I'm not sure. Oh, you don't think it's smart? You don't think it's smart? Okay, tell me why. Well, I'm not sure I think it's smart. I I I have a lot of questions about how it's going to work. Like, if this is a neighborhood that's in need of a bookstore and hasn't had one in a while, then there's a possibility that it will be flooded with people who are throwing dollars at it. But mm-hmm. anytime that a neighborhood or a part of the country goes for a long time without a bookstore, people develop other book buying habits. And mm. 
it's a lot easier to talk about how you're excited that there's a new bookstore in your neighborhood and you want that to be a thing that's accessible. Um, or it's a lot easier to talk about those things than it is to actually change your book buying habits and support right. that new thing. Um, it's great. For, I think book culture is definitely winning mm-hmm. here. Um, I wonder if they're going to get, you know, like featured placement in Harper's or stuff on their website. Like imagine if you're a Harper's reader who lives in New York and you're on the Harper's website and they target ads to you about like, oh, did you know Mm. that book culture is a thing now? Like, I think there are some smart opportunities. I guess I'm not really sure what Harper's stands to gain from doing this unless the store becomes a success, in which case they get, you know, presumably like points on their investment. Maybe. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's interesting, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm also, well, I mean, it's an investment, so it's not just a donation, but I'm, I don't know. I think I'm cautiously skeptical. Cautiously skeptical. (laughs) Skeptically optimistic. I don't Uh, know. I mean. I'm having trouble pegging down why I don't think it's awesome. Well, I don't know if it's awesome. I think it's smart, I guess is what I was saying. Uh, You know. Okay, tell me why. Well, also. Just because Harper's then has a connection to a physical space where they could do things in a community of like, let's, this is going to be like the upper west side liberal intellectuals that like Tom Hanks makes fun of and uh, you've got mail. Like, this is who this is catering mm-hmm. to. Like, make no bones about it. Because, yeah, so the all, Harper's. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I was kind of. This, is not, a, no, this no, no, is not a book's wasteland because this is at 400 Columbus Avenue, which is like 82nd in Columbus. And there is a huge Barnes and Noble two blocks away at 82nd and mm. Broadway. So it's not the, the, the book culture rhetoric about, you know, coming to onto the battlefield with, you know, the, the banner held high into this sort of sea of barbarians. There's a, and it's a, it's a great Barnes and Noble. They have an unbelievable literary fiction section at the, at the, at the very front of the store, the best in the city uh, to, to my Thinking even among the independent bookstores, their literary fic- new hardcover literary fiction selection—it's all face out and it's like several rows that you. Have to, anyway, I can stop gushing about that. My point is, it's not like you couldn't get books in this neighborhood. And let's be frank, this is an extremely, extremely affluent neighborhood. So I'm pushing all that stuff away about how independent mm. bookstores are, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Like they might be in whatever, but this is not that. Um, so these the customer is in the Venn diagram of. People who subscribe to Harper's Magazine yes, are also what likely that's what to support yes. an indie bookstore and to go to the kinds of, of events, like high-end literary fictiony right. type that's events right. that right. this bookstore. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm on board with that. Yeah, so I, I'm sort of taking out of the larger context of the great and noble crusade for books, which whatever we can talk about that some other time until we all start vomiting. But this is more about like an actual fit for what a, a magazine. And a website, because Harper's is that as well, can do um, if they have an ongoing, persistent, and uh, you know, investment financially and sort of emotionally and programmatically. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like it would be cool if we had a bookstore partnership, right? Like we've kind of talked about yeah, this before. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. think of the things we could do and whatever. Um, so that's why I think it's interesting. And book culture, I think, will also benefit. And sort of the, the cold hard operating cash is good, but also a sort of consistent stream of interesting events that someone else could produce. Um, and publicize is interesting as well. Yeah, so, anyway. I'm going to have to say I think you're right about this. Now that I'm, I'm pondering it more, and I think my initial, I am still skeptical, but mm-hmm. my initial response also has to do with like I don't think that Harper's produces content that I'm particularly mm. interested in. And so if the, if the bookstore in my neighborhood were like, this is our new alliance, I would be like, oh, well, that's not really the bookstore Great. for me. Yes, yes, which yes, which yes. that's fine. Like I may not be their customer. That's that's totally fine. But that's. I'm now in the process of actively, as we're saying, as I'm like, as the words are coming out of my mouth, um, piecing together. That's what some of that is okay. too. Just kind of like, yeah. Sure. No, I understand. Like again, this isn't sort of um, the end all be all of me. awesome book yeah. things, but it's the it the part of my brain that likes putting little pieces together that fit nicely likes that. Like there's a huge yeah, dopamine it's, rush it's happening when I think about that. Um, all right. Let's do this vlog. Oh, here's a, oh go ahead. You pick. You pick. Oh, the vlog. I was going to do the Penguin Hotline. Okay, <laughs> we can do that. Let's do those two, and then we can move on to some book talk. Do you want to do the vlogger first? Yeah. The, I, the, this, okay. I thought this was super interesting from a variety of angles. Um, I don't even know how to say this, this young woman's name. Zoella, Z-O-E-L-L-A. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's a vlogger. 
uh, if and if you're ancient like I am and didn't know what that was, um, well, I knew it a little while ago, but I'm not going to take too much credit. It's, you know, basically someone who makes videos on YouTube um, for themselves and um, other people. She has like six and a half million subscribers on YouTube, which is an insane mm-hmm. number. And she got a book deal and sold a jillion and a half copies. Like that's almost literally the number. Um, sold more copies in his first week of publication in the UK than any previous debut novel on record. And it's the UK's fastest selling book of the year. Sold more than 78,000 copies its first week in the US. It's yeah, a young it's adult. It's described novel. as a modern day Notting Hill for teens. It's a good and pitch. It, 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 yeah, that is, a, I will read that. And it eclipsed the first week sales from debuts by J.K. Rowling, Dan Brown, and E.L. James. That's big. She's 24 years old. So the first part of it is giant online celebrity people selling huge numbers of books. Like this is bigger than like, legit Hollywood star sales numbers, right? Mm-hmm, like we weren't mm-hmm. getting numbers like this out of Polar or Faye or Rob Lowe or maybe they sold a bunch, but they weren't getting this kind of numbers. I think we would have heard if it was this big of a deal. So that's... Well, yeah, if they if they did get this kind of number and we didn't hear about it, bad job bad publishing. Job, <laughs> bad job publicity. <laughs> um, so that's the first just sort of interesting thing is that people are building their own audiences and then bringing them sort of ready-made to publishers which is a match made in heaven, I would say, because what publishers are good at is making and distributing books. Not as great, or it's harder for them to build buzz around a particular title um, that doesn't already have a, a you know a name attached to it. Harder to do. You can do it's just hard. Um, but she brings you know a bunch of wattage with her already, and so they need to, they can distribute and get two hundred thousand books out in a week, which is extremely difficult to do. Um, on the other hand, there's another side of the story, which is if as interesting, if not more so, is. It came out. I don't. I don't remember exactly how it came out. That it doesn't say. It says "Girl Online" by Zoe Sugg, which is her name. It doesn't say ghostwritten with anything else, and yet apparently, it was largely. I don't know. It was significantly helped by some unnamed person. That 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 in fact only came out after the publication. And I, we had mm-hmm. a post about it on the site. I guess it was yesterday. Christy wrote a nice thing about, do we care? Why do we care? Why does it matter? I'm not really sure. I know that celebrity memoirs being ghostwritten is a common thing. Um, I'm not sure that that would excuse this if you thought about it otherwise. I also know that a lot of times it says sports books typically have, say, you know, Kobe Bryant with whoever. Like, you just sort of know they got <laughs> some help with it. What do you think about this that there was there was no – indication on the book that it was anything but her sort of typing in Microsoft Word. Okay, two thoughts. I think writers should be acknowledged for the work that they do, and so their names should go ah, on so the From the ghostwriter's point of view, like, give, give them some plot it's there. Yeah, yeah, like, and James Patterson was in trouble for this several years ago. Like, it came out after the fact, I think, that he had co-writers or sort of this like mm-hmm. factory of writers that he was paying where he generates the storylines and someone else actually writes the text and fleshes it out. And now those people's names are also like it still has James Patterson's name bigger on the cover of the mm-hmm. book. Um, but those co-writers names appear on the covers. Um, I would like to see this be a thing that publishing does proactively as an acknowledgement yes. of that work. And also is like readers are smart enough to understand that you're selling the name sometimes. Like we, you're selling Zoe Sugg's name on this novel. Snooki wrote a novel a few years ago. It was, of course, ghostwritten. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, Lauren Conrad, who's famous from the OC and another MTV series or a few series has some young adult novels out. Those were ghostwritten. It's been talked about how those are ghostwritten, but those ghostwriters' names don't appear on the covers. Um, so like, this is a thing that happens. Zoe Suggs isn't the first one to do it by no, any stretch no, no. with fiction. Um, with memoirs, it seems to be accepted. Um, even like the new Hillary Clinton memoir has mm-hmm. some notes about you know other people that assisted or another person that assisted in the writing. So we accept it with memoirs. I think when we're talking well, about selling books mm. on the strength of celebrity and not on the strength of someone's known writing chops. It shouldn't be surprising there's someone else involved, but that work should be acknowledged. And then because it's already acknowledged on the cover of the book, you're also being transparent to your reader about and to your customer about 
you're buying this book because I'm the famous person and my name is on it and I was involved in the project, but also I didn't do it by myself. Right. And I, that's important too. The, the other thing that occurs to me as well, two other things while you were talking occurred to me related to what you said. One is I wonder too, like she's 24 and it's a YouTube following. And one thing people like about YouTube is sort of the raw authenticity of like, that's the person they're talking to you. It's not over. Her videos are very well produced because there's a lot of money and she has sponsorships and whatever, but it's her saying words like, and you feel like you know her and it's a very sort of personal connection. Um, and I wonder if this is a sort of transgression of that understanding, right? That, you know, mm -hmm. you get her, it's not like some robot her or someone like, you know, maybe they're writing a script for, I don't know. It calls in all sorts of interesting things into question for me. But it's a YA book by a 24-year-old vlogger whose um, audience is mostly young women. And I just don't know how reasonable it is to expect them. Like, well, you should just know that celebrity books are ghost. Like, that's kind of where I'm coming oh, yeah. from. Is like, I don't well, think you that's and I reasonable. know. No, no, you weren't saying that. But right. I'm more thinking, like, people have said, well... You know, a lot of memoirs are ghostwritten, and that's just a thing that people know. Like, do they do do seventeen year old girls buying uh, YA novels from a vlogger they love online have a reasonable? Can we reasonably expect them to say, "Well, yeah, of course she didn't write it herself"? Like, yeah, that I seems think, unfair to me. I think it's unfair. It also makes it appear that you're trying to yes, get away pull with something, one over on something, even if that's not the intention. And I default and I think you default also to you're never going to be sorry that you were transparent about something yeah, from the start. Right. And because she has this huge following of, you know, younger people who we should not assume just magically know that books by famous people are often ghostwritten. That's mm -hmm. not a reasonable right. expectation. She could have, she and the publishers could have headed all of this off at the pass. And instead of the story now being about how her book is ghostwritten, they could have just had this huge first week of sales. If in one of her videos, she had been like, I'm working on this novel and it's a new thing for me. I've never written a novel before. And so I have a publisher and I also have a co-writer that I'm working with. And this is what it's like. Like there's, you can talk about this and I'm, her audience would appreciate that kind of openness. I think yeah. candor is usually beneficial with the audience that trusts you. Um, and then the novel comes out and she can say thanks to my co-writer and Hey, maybe the co-writer comes on a video for a little while and they talk about the process. Right. Like if together. the book like, said Zoe, I, I can't remember her name now cause I've got out of the tag. Zoe, Zoe Sugg with Melanie Yang, like would 50% of the people not buy it? I, I just don't think, I don't think it would make any difference at all, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't think it would And if it does, either. then that tells you that you should do it, right? Because people care. <laughs> exactly. I don't think it would make any difference like, to have had that customer. The customer, the reader, is still going to be stoked that this person that they follow has made a new thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you can, that now they can interact with that thing. But being open and transparent about how you're working is really valuable, I think, all the time, but especially when you have an audience that trusts you and to whom you're trying to sell a new thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of telling about publishers' perspectives, too, that either the publisher didn't expect it to come out that there was a ghostwriter, and the publisher has now acknowledged it, or that the publisher found some value in not putting the ghostwriter's name mm -hmm. on the cover, um, that they were maybe afraid to admit that it wasn't just this celebrity. And yeah. if the celebrity's name isn't strong enough to supersede the fact that that person couldn't write a book on their own, like most people are not going to write books on their own ever, um, much less best-selling ones. So it shouldn't be surprising that you need a little help. And when you're talking mm -hmm. about, I'm famous for doing one thing and now I'm going to try to do a new thing, bring my audience into that new thing. Yeah, you might need a co-writer and let's just acknowledge that. Yeah. But it's it's kind of a I saw someone tweet and I thought this was interesting that the ghostwriting is an accepted thing in publishing and it's not always disclosed that there's a ghostwriter like if you're a committed reader of a certain age you're supposed to know that <laughs> ghostwriting is just a likelihood. Um, but when we find out about ghostwriting in other forms of media, mm. it's like a milli vanilli scandal. Right, um, when Ashley Simpson it, is lip-syncing, suddenly everyone's right. pissed off. Right, Right when she's lip-syncing herself. Her own song, <laughs> right. Because she doesn't want to sound like she doesn't want, she's nervous and she doesn't want to make a mistake on national live television. Which, you know, it's, I don't know, it, it's interesting. Like, I think the messaging could have been really easy. Like, you could have had her, you could have her sit down and say, you know, like, I had this story I really wanted to tell. 
I've never done any writing before. So I got someone who could help me and we made this book I'm really excited about together. You know, yeah. and she really helped me and I'm so excited that I could tell the best version of this story I want to and write and, you know, come up with the best book for everyone who's interested. I mean, who, if, if you get pissed off about that, go jump off a bridge. You know, I, I don't I don't have any time for people who are worried about that kind of thing. Um, so anyway. All right. Let's do our last sponsor. Tell me tell me about our the, next sponsor. Our next sponsor this week is wait, where'd the title go? Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> My notes weren't coming up. Uh, this is X, a novel by Ilyasa Shabazz and Keikla Magoon. Uh, it's a young adult novel co-written by Malcolm X's daughter that's about Malcolm X's early life. Look the at that, co-written. Years of, co-written. You see yes, right there? Co-written They don't just by say Malcolm, Malcolm X's, X's daughter. daughter. They say she got some. Okay. Interesting. I, yeah. You know, we didn't plan right, that. And that's so right weird. There. Yeah, that's a, that's, I think they call that synergy. Yeah, kismet. Kismet. <laughs> Um, so it's a it's a novel about the formative years of a man whose words and actions shook the world. Um, Malcolm Little's parents have always told him that he can achieve anything, but from what he can tell, that is not true. Uh, his father has been murdered, his mother has been taken away, and his dream of becoming a lawyer got him laughed out of school. So he figures there's no point in trying, um, and he's lured in by the nightlife of Boston and New York. He escapes into a world of fancy suits, jazz, girls and weed. Uh, But Malcolm's efforts to leave the past behind him lead him into dangerously, increasingly, increasingly dangerous (laughs) territory. Uh, And what starts out as a small time hustling gig spins out of control, but he knows deep down um, that the freedom he's found is just an illusion and that he can't keep running from this Mm -hmm. uh, forever. So X, this new novel, follows Malcolm from his childhood to his imprisonment for theft at age 20, which is when he found the faith that would lead him to forge a new path and to develop the voice that that we know from Malcolm X and that still resonates today. Mm, Very interesting. Um, This is coming... Yeah, this is coming out from Candlewick Books, again, by uh, Ilyasa Shabazz and Keikla Magoon. And it sounds super interesting to me. Also, it has a blurb from Chris Rock, which is not a thing you see often. Have you seen um, him doing says, the press rounds for his new movie? Chris Rock is yeah. on fire. Like, man, he's Can, writing like, some interesting – he wrote a really great piece for Vanity Fair that I highly recommend people checking out. Anyway, there was a – I think it was a vulture profile yes. of him or an interview of him that was really fantastic. Such a, he, he is so smart and – I'm glad we're seeing more of him out in the media right now. Oh, so the two blurbs in the notes that we have are from Chris Rock and Muhammad Ali. Um, And Muhammad Ali writes that um, Malcolm inspired me with his eloquence, his wisdom, and his thirst for truth and righteousness. This powerful page-turning story tells us how he discovered these qualities within himself. And Chris Rock says it's one of the best books he's read in quite some time. I think this sounds super interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting. Um, as well. So, all right. Thanks to X for sponsoring the show. Um, That's a great sponsor for us. Um, Please go check that out if you're interested. All right. So we're in um, the uh, new release interregnum here officially between about Thanksgiving and the first Tuesday after the new year, that first Tuesday after the new year in January, there's be some interesting books, but right now, you know, there's not really enough time to promote something in time for the holidays. So we're not getting a lot of great new titles. Some new paperbacks maybe, but you know we're, we're not, we're not going to bother with new books. So what we're going to do instead is some books for, holi- for your own interregnum, that time between Christmas and New Year's, where pe- a lot of people are traveling, have time off, you know, maybe have some time to sit down and do some reading of a special kind. Like it's not beach reading. I mean, it's it's kind of winter reading, I guess, where it's, you're going to be in a big comfy chair, hot something that might be, may or may not be spiked. Um, you know, snow falling, uh, the, dog the trees is glistening, dog is snoring, <laughs> the chili is simmering. You know, you know what we're getting at here. Um, so, it's a different kind of feeling than the beach yeah, read, for not, sure. For me, I'm not reading, you know, I'm not going to read my Morrison at this time of year. That's not what I'm doing now. This is, this is comfort, cocoon, survive until, win- until springtime reading for me. Right. Um, so you hunker, it's picks. hunker down, hunker down, hunker, re- I, hunker reading. Yeah, I, like I was that. gonna ask you. Yeah, do you, you do your over the summer the last few years? You've spent the time catching up on like big young yes. adult novels and dystopian yeah. stuff that you hadn't read. Do you have a winter reading pr- project I too? Don't or are you just usually I are you like, just hunkering? When it's you it, in years past, pre children, I would be doing traveling, be flying back home and have time at home, and I would like to read mysteries. 
I'm not like sort of a serial mystery reader, but I like spy novels. I guess especially I like spy novels. So I guess my pick would be, um, I've talked about this before. I don't know if I talked about it on this show, but in Reading Lives, it's come up a couple times. I just recorded Reading Lives the other day where it came up again. John Le Carre's Carla trilogy. It starts with Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. And then it's um, the Honorable Schoolboy and Smiley's People. It's all the story of George Smiley, who is who becomes the head of the British Secret Service, and his adversary is codenamed Carla, the head of the KGB, and they're trying to trying to bring each other down. Or a series of books, Le Carre. It's it's existential spy novels. Like it's about the nature of spying. It's about the futility of spying. It's about the ethics of spying. Um, the inter the sort of internecine warfare between branches of government. There's some good tradecraft stuff. It's all pre-tech. So it's like we're dropping pieces of paper and like hollowed out logs and like use carry chalk in this hand and hold your umbrella like this to mean this, like a lot of interesting stuff. Like Carré himself was a member of MI6 um, so that he knows of what he speaks. Um, and it's really good stuff. I think the one I haven't read that was recommended to me by um, S.J. Rosen, who's a mystery writer, and she was the guest, um, will be the next, I guess, this week, coming week's episode, recommended to me because she's a big Le Carre fan, The Constant Gardener, which is made into a movie with Ray Fiennes that Michelle and I watched and really liked, but I've never gone back to read the, the book. And I found that if I really like a movie, going back and reading the book is been a really fruitful experience, more so than reading the book and then seeing the movie. Because reading the book and seeing the movie, you're seeing what got taken away. Mm -hmm. But if you see the movie and then read the book, you get to see a, stuff, a bunch of stuff that was added. So I was reading Tinker Taylor and like, you know, nudging Michelle. I was like, oh, this character's backstory is really this. And there's this other thing that we didn't even know about. So we were <laughs> nerding out about 40-year-old um, uh, British uh, detective, or excuse me, spy novel. So that's one for me. You know, can, they're, they're, you get all three of them and they're long and they're really like naughty and you can get lost in the world in it. So that would be a good recommendation if you're into that sort of thing for me. Yeah, that sounds like fun. My usually from Christmas or from Thanksgiving to New Year's, I read uh, all backlist because in previous years, I've spent most of the year just reading Frontlist and new books and stuff that's coming out soon and staying up to date on new releases. But I was really missing backlist coming into 2014. Mm. So I did a very intentional job of incorporating older books into my regular reading through the year. Um, so I have found I don't need that project this year, but my targeted project is to read backlist from authors I just got into this year. So for the holidays, I'm reading Chimamande Ngozi Adichie's first novel, Purple Hibiscus, since I got into Americana this year. I'm going to go back and read something by Lily King. Um, I have a few other, oh, Lauren Bucus's um, Shining Girls since Broken Monsters just rocked my world. But um, if that is not a project for you, specifically for holiday reading, I like things that are easy to dip in and out of. So short chapters mm. or short stories and that are lighter kinds of stories um, and delightful in some way. I find that that's nice for trap for dealing with travel or from hiding from family for a little <laughs> while or can steal just 15 getting a minutes. break. Yeah, yeah, you can just, yeah, you can, exactly. For those stolen 15 minute chunks of just, you know, you just need to breathe for a second. Uh, so for short stories, this was a 2013 release, but I loved it. And I'm just going to keep talking about it. Um, the Miniature Wife by Emmanuel Gonzalez. They're funny and absurd in that Karen Russell, George Saunders kind of way. Um, the title story is about a scientist who accidentally uh, who's working on miniaturization technology and his wife like shrinks herself accidentally and is living in a dollhouse or he shrinks her and she's living in this dollhouse and he's taking care of her while he's trying to figure out how to get her back to normal size and she just has had enough one day and leaves. Uh, there's uh, the opening story is people that are flying somewhere and their flight gets stuck in a perpetual holding pattern above a city for years and years and years. And these people just live in the plane, um, hovering above the city. And it's crazy and funny and so much fun. Um, I really enjoyed that. A new release this year that I think flew under many people's radars, but was so just lovely, uh, is 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino. Um, and the whole story is set over the course of one night. It's over the course of Christmas Eve about a young girl. I think she's 
she's either eight or 10. I don't remember that. She's a, she wants to be a jazz singer. Um, her mother is gone and her father is, you know, not super present. And there's this jazz club and she lives in Philadelphia and there's this jazz club in Philadelphia and she wants to get on stage and sing there. And it's these short, little chapters that move between her and her teacher from school where something has happened because she's tried to sing at school Mm. and the guys who own this jazz club and like little bits and flashes of the jazz scene in Philadelphia and this young girl's community um, as she's just living one day in her kid life, but trying to get on stage at this jazz club on Christmas Eve. Um, It, I read it in the middle of the summer, but it felt like the perfect snowy night read and it's it's very quick um the writing is really fun and surprising and beautiful in a lot of ways um but also a a light story and and easy to engage with i really really loved that one Mm -hmm. those are some picks if you've got a pick we're gonna have a couple more shows to the end of the year so if you've got some picks from this we'd like to share some you know oh yeah what do you like to read just tell us even if it's not a recommendation for other people we're nosy uh and so you know even if it's our own for our own uh, edification we'd like to know that as well i think that's our show this week i feel like we, we touched a show. lot of we touched we hit a, we, we touched a lot of bases right oh we didn't do the penguin hotline so if you're oh yes okay wh- good we should do that before the before too long yes yeah, I'll just say if you need more recommendations, Penguin is doing this Penguin Hotline this year that they're they're advertising it all over the internet. You can go to penguin.com/penguinhotline. This is not a sponsored spot, it's just interesting, mm-hmm. we think. Um you fill out a form, you tell them who you're shopping for or what kinds of books you're looking for for yourself, and someone who works for Penguin or Random House will answer your email and send you customized recommendations. Um and not just from Penguin Random House, like they're claiming to be publisher agnostic. I did it. I got good recommendations for my mom. They happened to all be Penguin or Random House books, but they were good picks. Um, I think we've had several contributors try it as well. So if you want some recommendations straight from somebody who works in publishing all the time, you can check that out. Mm -hmm. And now that's our show. Yep. 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 Um, so as always, you can find us on Twitter. She is Rebecca Shinsky at Rebecca S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. <laughs> uh, I am the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. You can find the show notes to this and all the back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookwright.com slash podcast. Uh, you can shoot us an email. We told you to email us a couple times without telling us you the email address because we're on point like that. And the, the email there is podcast at bookwright.com. Uh, iTunes review, we've got a whole bunch of them. Thank you so much for doing that. But if you ever you know, have a spare moment over the holiday break, we always appreciate that. Thank you so much to X, a novel, for sponsoring the show, Word and Film, and Harry's for sponsoring the show. And we'll be back next week. Have a good one.